Folger Shakespeare Library may be best known for its Shakespeare collection, but it's so much more. As Dr. Michael Whitmore says, as an institution representing the arts and humanities, part of our role in civic life is to take deep questions and deep disagreements and meet them with a knowledge of history and a passion for greater understanding. My guest today, Dr. Peggy O'Brien from the Folger Shakespeare Library, is here to share with us her knowledge of history and her passion for greater understanding. Welcome, everyone. I am thrilled because I am being joined by a friend, colleague, mentor, my former supervisor and current superhero, Dr. Peggy O'Brien, who is the Director of Education at Folger Shakespeare Library, and is joining us today to talk about some of the reasons that Shakespeare can still be so powerful for us today. So welcome, Peggy, and thank you so much for being with us today. It is a total pleasure to be talking to Carol and Lord Stanger about any topic, Um, and also to be talking to all of you, and this will be fun. I'm delighted to be, I was delighted to be invited. Well, I am just thrilled. So I want to jump in. Um, Folger Director Mike Whitmore and Peggy, you have both talked about why Shakespeare matters today. He's a 400-year dead white guy. I mean, he's been gone for a long time. So why is he someone that can still matter for us today? Okay, that's don't don't mess around with any kind of little questions to begin with. Go to the big ones. <laughs> right, go to the big ones. Which is exactly like you. Um, so, so for one thing, um, for reasons that you just said, some people don't think he matters today, and that's fine. Do you know? I mean, everybody's entitled to their own opinion. Um, but I tend to think that he is a very important part of what. I call the sweep of literature. So people who started writing long before he did and people who kept all kinds of people who started writing way before he did and also have kept writers, kept on writing up until right this minute. And when you look at this, that sweep of literature, um, you realize that writers have, have through time often been asking the same kinds of questions, big questions, you know, meaning of life, um, have you ever fallen? Has love ever taken you by surprise? Do you get to keep what you take by force? Um, how do we grow? How does happiness make us grow? How does grief make us grow? Does it, do those things make us grow? So we've all, there's a sweep of writers and then readers of those writers who have been involved in those questions for a long, long time. And because those are essential human questions, we think that people will be involved with those writers for a long, long time. And Shakespeare is part of that sweep. Um, He is, you know, we think he's an important part of that sweep. Is he the most important part of that sweep? I don't necessarily think so. Um, But he's a a terrific writer in the characters that he writes and the situations that he puts them in. Um, There are opportunities to learn from them. So we think it's it's worthwhile taking a pass at this guy. 
and and seeing what there is to learn and the kind of observations that he has. I just I want to say one more thing about that, and that is that he is a dead white guy, and he wrote at a time when um, there was not a lot of attention paid to people of color. We now know, thanks to some terrific scholars, that there was there was a lot more going on with people of color, for example, in London when he was writing than we knew previously. Nobody was really very interested in finding that out because most of the world that dealt with Shakespeare uh, were people were, were was comprised of people who were white. Um, but there was a lot of action going on in London, and also, oh my goodness, it was a whole Ottoman Empire going on when he was writing. So, so he wrote, uh, and he wrote globally. Many of his plays take place in not in England and not in London. They take place all over the place. So, so. He, he brings a lot more to the table than that. Yeah, I like that. And I like that idea of the sweep of literature. That's a terrific phrase and ways that we can think of him as part of a continuum of the way people ask questions and yeah. the way readers read these questions and continue to grapple in all kinds of ways. So that's that's really wonderful. Right, because if I can just add one thing. I mean, he wrote these plays and, you know, he wrote them. We don't ever know exactly when he wrote them, but we certainly know when they were performed and when they were printed. And so, and so if you want to think about Romeo and Juliet was printed in for the first time in 1597. And so it was written sometime before that plays weren't printed then unless they were a big success on stage. So maybe Romeo and Juliet was on stage in 1595 and it was a big hit. Um, Mm -hmm. But we, and, but and so he wrote that then we're reading that now as mm-hmm. people have read it you know ever since and so we bring who we are what the world is like what's going on in the world what's going on in our own lives the plays stay the same but the people who are reading them and the world that is digesting them and dealing with them it changes all the time and that's why those plays bring something different every time you read them really And that's something that's pretty terrific about Shakespeare, I think, is that you can approach the same play like Romeo and Juliet, which you may have read in high school, and you will have a completely different experience if you see it performed when you're in your 50s or 60s or 70s. I mean, it's just a whole different thing because you're in a different place. Right. That's exactly right. And that's wonderful. So let's just talk about students for a minute because students are a key, um, important audience at the Folger. And why is it that high school students in particular, I remember um, speaking of Romeo and Juliet, I remember a video that was made of a high school group who at the beginning of the year began preparing to perform Romeo and Juliet on the Folger stage. And so at different Mm -hmm. parts during their experience, they talked to some of these kids who had not necessarily had anything to do with Shakespeare before and were a little hesitant at the beginning, but then they got pretty excited about it. And after their performance, one young man who had played Romeo said, being Romeo has changed me forever. (laughs) I love that. I could not stop. I have not been able to stop thinking about that. What is it about speaking those words as high schoolers sometimes that can have that kind of impact on students? Yeah. Well, so the thing about Shakespeare, I think the thing that makes makes Shakespeare Shakespeare is the language. 
he and, and and the language that he wrote is not all complicated. He used loads of you know words of one syllable, um, so it's not all complicated. It's not all hard to understand. And it, since we're on Romeo and Juliet, you know, in the balcony scene when when Romeo says to Juliet, "Wilt thou leave me so unsatisfied?" That's not very complicated. <laughs> no, that's pretty easy. High school boys understand that <laughs> exactly. We know what he's talking about. So. Um, but the language is just really muscular, fabulous language. And so we have a way of, of teaching teachers how to teach Shakespeare um, to students and um, to all kinds of students, mainly middle and high school students. Though we now know actually that a lot of college professors use this method too, that we call the Folger method. And it has to do with putting kids directly in contact with Shakespeare's language before anybody ever talks about what the words mean it's like what they sound like, how they feel in your mouth, how you can use different tones to make them mean different things. And, and that has proven to be a very exciting way to bring kids into it. And this, I should say, I know the, the, um, the uh, film that you were referencing, Caroline, about, and the, the boy who said, you know, Romeo, playing Romeo has changed my life, which is kind of amazing because Romeo doesn't end up well, you know. Right. Like, <laughs> but anyway. Um, and that was in a, that's a particular activity that we have at the Folger where we invite kids to come and perform on stage. But we work with teachers all the time who are not on stage, who are regular teachers in classrooms. Kids are in sophomore English, junior English, senior English, and they're reading a Shakespeare play. And the idea of getting kids into the language, getting kids on their feet, not acting, but working together. All these plays were the, we have these plays because they were the writing down of what first happened on stage. Shakespeare, I think, would be very surprised if he thought people were strapped to their seats reading all the stuff in books all the time. So for kids to get up and start moving and start thinking about what they see in that language and what they hear in that language, it's a, it's a really wonderful way to teach. Um, and we have been... We've been um, using that method and expanding it and exploring it for a long time. It started in a high school classroom in a DC public high school English class. Um, and we also, we work with teachers on a regular basis and have for a long time. And teachers now tell us that they use this methodology to teach all kinds of literature, especially what in the English teaching business we call complex texts. Um, you know, books that, that kids need to read in middle school and high school that are, you know, that are not an easy breezy thing. Mm -hmm. The way of putting students right inside a novel or a play um, and inside the language really, and then they learn to make their way mm -hmm. around it uh, and through it. And it's pretty exciting. It's what keeps us going here. One of the things that keeps us going. Well, it's fabulous because the way the word sounds in your mouth and the way it feels in your mouth and the way it makes you feel to say some of these words, you just kind of get your body moving. That can work for all of us at any age, but it's just so powerful oh, yeah. with kids and students. So that's great. And it's really wonderful to see that Folger method spreading. I do keep my eyes on things all the time. So speaking of the Folger, the Folger is currently undergoing a, a massive, large, wonderful <laughs> renovation. And so can you tell us about what will be available for us? So I'm always talking to people about the Folger and, you know, you've got to come to DC, you've got to come visit me and I'll take you to the Folger. And so tell us what some of the exciting things 
that await us when the Folger opens its doors again. Yeah. Oh, I'm happy to. Also, I should say that everything that we've talked about, lots of what we talked about so far, and also news about ongoing news about the Folger can be found at www.folger.edu. Um, so yes. So the Folger, um, you know, opened to the public in 1932 and it was a very, you know, it's the largest collection of Shakespeare in the world. Um, and it's a block from the Supreme court and from the library of Congress and two blocks from the U S Capitol kind of interesting placement there. Mm -hmm. Um, and it originally opened as a scholarly, as a library for scholars, scholars would come and use this collection. But as time has gone on, we, you know, uh, we and who are there now, but others before have begun to realize that there's a, there's a broader life that can be had for this guy in the nation's capital and beyond for sure. So um, Michael Whitmore, who is the director of the Folger has been in that job for about um, a little more than 10 years, I think. And he, um, is an extraordinarily, uh, is a Shakespeare scholar who's extraordinarily highly thought of. But he, when he came to the Folger, he thought, we need to open this place up in a bigger way and in a different way so that we can serve more people and delight more people um, and give more to people and to open them up, not just to Shakespeare, but to the humanities and all the other kinds of things that the Folger does. So that involves a, a gigantic construction project. Um, there's a, if you drove by the Folger right now, you would see there is a giant pit <laughs> in the front yard and it keeps getting deeper and deeper. We, the, our, our building is on the national historic register. And so we are kind of limited in terms of adding space. Um, we're limited to underground at this point. And, and so we are adding a lot of space when this renovation is over, we will have 12,000 more. We'll have 12,000 feet of gallery space which means many more, a much, a much greater capacity to, to invite the public, all kinds of publics, to do a lot more programming. We also, so, so part of it is construction. We also have, um, there's also a lot of improvements in, in terms of the way we are going to store the books and that kind of stuff. But we also will have, we're reinventing ourselves internally also. So we will have a very different visitor experience for people. And Caroline, when you were at the Folger, you had everything to do with the visitor experience. Um, <laughs> it will be much, it will be much more participatory, much livelier. We will have many, many more things. We'll have space to put many, many more things from the collection out so people can really see them. People will have a chance to see some rare stuff and not under glass all the time. Um, so, and we, and we want people to be, you know, to be provoked in, in a very exciting way and to be engaged. Absolutely. And we also want, not only do we want a lot more visitors, but we want a lot more different kinds of visitors. Um, and so in anticipation of that about a year ago, cause the planning for this has gone on for a good long time. About a year ago, we started doing um, sort of focus groups, conversational part conversation, part focus groups around the city of DC with all different kinds of folks you know, folks of all different races and ages and, and um, sexual orientations and different kinds of habits in terms of theater going, museum going, all kinds of stuff. And, um, and we said, have you ever been to the Folger? You know, have you ever heard of it? We had some really interesting questions. And where do you go now where you like to go, where you feel like you belong? And what could be going on at the Folger that would cause you, what would motivate you to come and visit us? 
And in particular, we are interested, we have lots of tourists who come to the Folger and we never want that to stop. But we also are very interested in, in um, finding out from residents of D.C., what would motivate them to come and also what would cause them to come back. Um, and people, you know, when you ask people questions, they tell you. Um, and so we have, we have some data that we're working from. So we are planning um, lots of different things in the Folger theater, absolutely Shakespeare, but absolutely some things that aren't Shakespeare. And during the time that we are still, the building is still closed. We anticipate opening in the fall of 2023 during this time, starting Starting in the fall, in the late fall of this year, we will start Folger on the Road and we will do a little theater touring and a little touring of some of our books um, so that we can put the Folger out in the community before the community can come and find us. So those kind of connections are, are, are more enhanced at the Folger than they've ever been and they are incredibly exciting to us. Well, that is so exciting for me to hear. I was fortunate enough to get to work with Peggy in 2016 on an activity where the Folger sent first folios on the road in a, a huge effort so that every state in the nation could have access to a first folio. And these are the kinds of ways to engage people that really have not been done before. So it is so exciting to see everything that's happening at the Folger and that the Folger has in store and ways of interacting with Shakespeare, with other kinds of literature, with other kinds of the humanities that help in so many ways us understand ourselves and our history and our future. So that is so exciting. And of course, I will have links to all of that information um, in the show notes. So you can follow that. I encourage you. I love watching videos of the most recent um, construction work and tours of the Folger. And they have some marvelous things for researchers right now, a little armchair research um, thing that they do on Zoom sometimes too. So the Folger is really continuing to be a resource and I can't wait till it reopens. So Peggy, if you were to just share an idea for people who may um, may not have enjoyed Shakespeare back in high school days, may have been yes. strapped to a chair with a kind of funny looking book in mm -hmm. front of them and told, read and write an essay about this. How can people maybe give Shakespeare another chance? Can I, can I say one sort of postscript to something you said earlier before I answer that question? Yes, yes, please. And that is when you were talking about the first folio, mm -hmm. just to say, I would be really remiss if I did not say, so the, uh, the first folio is a book that was printed in, um, in 1623. And it was the first two actors in Shakespeare's acting company collected all of his plays, 36 plays at that point, and had them printed into one single book. That was very, um, a very new idea. Certainly it was a new idea for plays to be printed like that. And also it was a big financial risk and all kinds of stuff. It turned out to be, you know, pretty successful <laughs> and not so risky. Um, but of, we think that there were about 750 um, copies of the first folio that were printed in 1623. And the Folger has the largest collection in the world, which is 82 first folios, books that were printed in 1632. And all of those, those have been for all this time in a vault Mm -hmm. three stories down underneath the Folger. And when the Folger reopens, all 82 of those folios are going to be right in the center wow. of one of these new galleries. So everybody can see them. 
And then you will also be able to come in and through a touchscreen, you can explore some of the some of the pages and some of the insides of some of these books. We also will have just across from that is a is a printing press that was created for us, but it's modeled after um, the mechanics of how to make put a printing press together that were written in 1638 so that you can look at some of these books and then see, God, they were printed on that thing. <laughs> How did that work? Um, so it's an interesting thing. How to give Shakespeare another chance? I, I don't know. I mean, first of all, if you don't want to give Shakespeare another chance, don't. Right. Don't worry about that. Um, if you do, I don't know. I need to think about that a minute. It should be something that is not so heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, you might, uh, on public television, there is available on public television is a is a, a film of a stage version a version that they did two versions that they've done in that the public theater in New York did have done in um, Central Park in the summer. One is Merry Wives of Windsor, that's been cut and and moved up to modern times. Another one before that was. Um, was much ado about nothing, which is both of these plays are comedies. They're very funny. Um, you might want to get on Apple uh, Plus and look at Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand playing Macbeth. Um, a little piece of that, maybe not the whole thing, maybe not the whole thing of any of these, but but right. seeing it visually might be useful to you. Mm-hmm. Um, reading a little piece of this or that. Uh, just a small, you know, a small dose. I understand completely that teachers for a long time, and we work with teachers all over the country, but teachers for a long time have really felt saddled by, because they've never really been taught how to teach Shakespeare in, in lots and lots of cases, and also haven't really been taught how to teach literature, I think is... I think our ed schools in some cases have really fallen down in that. And so, and so they have been at a loss too. And so, yes. And, and also because we have come to students a lot thinking you need to genuflect when you are right. reading this guy, right? You need to think, mm, this is the big kahuna. Well, you know, you maybe, maybe not. Right. So read a little piece of it, um, read a little piece of it or see a little piece of it and just see what you think. And then our website we're on our way to getting a new website, but our website has lots of just interesting tidbits and things that you might find fascinating. And if you, if you, um, you know, sign up for one of our mailing lists at the Fulcher, we would love to keep you fascinated because we think a lot of it is fascinating. Right. And the website is great and has a lot of short um, ways to enter uh, the Fulcher podcast is yeah. great. And so again, I'll have, you know, links to all of this, but there are really fun ways to experience Shakespeare where it doesn't feel like it did if you were strapped to a chair in high school. So you may just right. want to give it another chance um, if that's your only experience. So, and thank you for explaining the first folio. I appreciate that. I was um, too hasty to just assume everybody knew what that meant to send it on the road. But the other the other thing I should also say about the Folger is we have plays, as mm-hmm. I said, and they will be not only Shakespeare, but we also have a wonderful poetry program. Right. A wonderful poetry program. We have a, a program, a music program that up to now um, has featured the Folger Consort, which is an early music group. And now that is going to expand into Folger music. And so we will have lots of other different kinds of music. Um, and on our website, actually, there are lots of things to sample 
um, that give you a little taste. And then that'll be a teaser for when we get ready to rock and roll when we reopen in the fall of 2023. Well, I, for one, cannot wait for that. So if we, I will put all this up for information about the Folger. And if we wanted to follow you, Dr. Peggy O'Brien, how do we do that? You can find me on Twitter at O'Brien Folger. Um, and you can also, you can find the Folger Shakespeare Library on, you can find me on Facebook, but I'm not very interesting. But you can find the Folger Shakespeare Library on Facebook and also Folger Education on Facebook. If you are a teacher or if you know teachers, we have a special website for teachers which called Folger Teaching, which is at uh, teaching.folger.edu. We also have a special membership for teachers. We think we're the only rare book library that has a special teacher membership. Teachers, we feel we feel like K-12 teachers do the most important work on earth. They are sowing the seeds of mm-hmm. curiosity and learning in people's lives for their lifetime. So we they are an important group for us. And so you can find out more about what we do for classrooms and for teachers and stuff if you go that route. And that is a wonderful, if you are a teacher, know a teacher, that is an amazing resource. So, oh, wait, so I should say P. O'Brien at Folger.edu. Mm-hmm. P-O-B-R-I-E-N. Sorry, I should have said that first. P. O'Brien at Folger.edu. Shoot me an email and let's see what we can do for you. All right. And again, I can say personally, being involved with Peggy O'Brien is an experience you will treasure forever and never want it to end. And I certainly don't want our friendship to end. It won't ever. (laughs) It won't ever. I want to thank you, Dr. Peggy O'Brien, for joining us, for giving us a peek into the world of Shakespeare, the world of the Folger We are so fortunate in D.C. to have this resource, but there are so many ways that the Folger is available nationally through different kinds of programming, and I am really delighted that I'll be able to share all of this with you. I'll have all the links in the show notes. So thank you again, Peggy, for coming on with me and sharing some time with us. Thanks, Caroline. Very much fun. Thanks so much for the invitation. So many thanks to Dr. Peggy O'Brien of the Folger Shakespeare Library for joining us to talk about how experiencing Shakespeare can help us grapple with some of those big questions and maybe increase our understanding of ourselves as well. Thank you for joining us. I'm always so grateful for your listening. And I'd really appreciate it if you feel so inclined to subscribe, share with a friend, and maybe leave a rating as well. So let's keep shaking up history and Shakespeare together.